This episode of the Crack House Chronicles is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line or a self-help line. It's professional counseling done securely online. Now, Dale, this is a broad range of expertise that is available, which may not be locally available in many areas. Yeah, this service is available for clients worldwide. Worldwide? Worldwide. Worldwide. And you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you don't have to worry about sitting in an uncomfortable waiting room and waiting on a traditional therapist. Yeah, which is really good in this time. You don't really want to go and sit in the waiting room with a bunch of people with the stuff going on that's going on today. Sit there with a mask on and... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's no good. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. And if you don't like your counselor, it's pretty easy to change. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. It's more affordable than traditional online counseling, and financial aid is available. That's always good. Right there. That's, a, that's awesome. Yeah. And BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. That's right. So visit their website and read the testimonials. They're posted there daily. All right, Dale. Visit BetterHelp dot com slash chc that's better h-e-l-p and you can join over one million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional that's right in fact so many people are using it now they're actually recruiting counselors in all 50 states so a special offer for our listeners you can get 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com slash chc you got to use the code word betterhelp.com slash C-H-C. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man who took a picture of his rain gauge and posted it to Facebook, and now he has a meteorology degree from the University of Phoenix. (laughs) That's Dale. You're darn right, man. I'm a phoenix. That's it. I guess you, you can be an expert in anything, can't you? That's it. You can do I'm, just I'm about a Facebook expert. A Facebook expert. <laughs> Is there such a thing? Uh, yeah, there's millions of them. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. <laughs> what's going on today, bud? There's probably another word for that. We'll just let it ride. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's going on with you? Oh, I'm just glad to do another episode, bud. Yeah, turning them out, anyway. Get them done. <laughs> what you got for us? You got any good shout outs or anything going on? Yeah, we got a few. It's been a good day today. I had lunch with a buddy of mine, Stick Elliott. Had a good time there. And he gave us a couple ideas for some shows coming up. That sounds good. And, uh, so that was cool. And uh, so we got a shout out one to uh, Angie Williams out in Texas. She's uh, from Gastonia, right down the road. And she found us and sent us a really cool, cool message on uh, on the Facebook gimmick. From the and, gas house. Yeah, from the gas mouse. Gas mouse. <laughs> But uh, yeah, she was uh, really, really thrilled to to get in contact with us, and, and now we say Charles so good and Charles. Yeah, we're we're for real rednecks. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, want to give out a shout out to uh, Spooky's World, who uh, somebody on YouTube who gave us some really cool um, comments on there. Sounds good. Yeah, he he commented on a couple episodes we did and said he liked our vibe, and that's what we like. We got a vibe. We got a vibe or a or a jib or something. <laughs> And, a G or a uh, R or something, something like that. We'll give another shout out to uh, Stacy out there in Vegas and uh, wish her well on her quest for sundrop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a, I've got 
How many sunrups do I have sitting over on the floor? Uh, at least seven, probably. Seven or eight. <laughs> Six or ten. Six or ten. Yeah. Fourteen, twelve. Yeah, that's it, man. All right, bud. Uh, we'll remind everybody to uh, to check out our social media, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff, YouTube. Give us a like, thumbs up, subscribe to YouTube, yeah. click that notification bell. <clears throat> oh, yeah, notification bell. That's it. It works because it worked for me last night. That's it. And also, check out our store page on our website, get you a t-shirt, get you a mug, get you a mask, get you some crack house merch. That's right. Get you some good stuff, man. And one more thing before we get started on our episode, uh, remind everybody on those Apple Podcast users to rate and review. Give us a five-star rating. Yes. Even if you don't use it, just go there and give us one anyway. Yeah. Just do it. You can still do it. Oh, yeah. You don't have to be a iPhone people. Yeah, but, you know, if, you, if they use the iPhone podcast, they're more likely to go over there and, since they're already on it. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Just do it. Come on. Yeah. Give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It does help. I promise. Just mash the button. Click the button. Five stars. Shout out to Tim Barnhill. You just, you got to mash the button. It's like a smash taters. Right there, there. there you go. <laughs> All right, ma'am. We're going to get into our episode. Let's do it. We're covering the Taco Bell Strangler. Ooh. And this is a local serial killer for us. It a, is. A North Carolina serial killer. Down in Charlotte way. Yep. Down in Charlottetown. Charlotte, North Carolina. And his name is Henry Lewis Wallace. And he, was, he was born down in uh, Barnwell, South Carolina. Yeah. But he had later moved <clears> to Charlotte <throat> where he'd done his killings. But we're going to give a little background on him. Yeah. He was born November the 4th, 1965. Just yeah. a little bit older than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's way older than me. Yeah. Yeah, Dale's, Dale's a little younger. But still very cool. Yeah. That's about three and a half hours from here. I looked it up. What, Barnwell? Yeah. Okay. He was the son of Lottie Mae Wallace. Lottie Mae. Yep, and a, her his dad was a married school teacher. I guess she was having an affair with this school teacher or something. I don't know, but he rolled out as soon as he found out she was yeah. pregnant. He walked out on Lottie. Yeah, he, he didn't want nothing to do with that. Yep. So Henry grew up with his mom, and Dale, she worked some long hours as a textile worker. And everything I've heard and read, she was tough on discipline. Yeah, she's pretty hard on the boy. Yeah, and he had an older sister, too. And it seemed like Henry, though, took the brunt of everything. I don't know why. Well, they said that, you know, it was uh, her and uh, the grandmother lived in the house, too, with the older older sister and him. So it's four in the house, and they didn't have no power, no water. Yeah. So they was always bickering between each other, especially his mom and his grandmother. So he's probably, he was probably catching the heat off uh, mm-hmm. a lot of that tension, I would say. Oh, so, yeah. And when she would discipline him, she would either whip him with a – switch you know like you get a little train limb off of i do remember that well yeah i get a switch <laughs> or she would make the kids whip each other oh no i don't know nothing about just, that just just to uh that's that's rough eh? yeah, that's rough yeah <laughs> y'all go out there in the yard and fight that's pretty much the way it was <laughs> i apologize for my voice Lee. i'm a little froggy i don't know why yeah deal's medicated i guess yeah definitely am all right i blew, I blew my back out <laughs> all right all right henry attended barnwell high school and dale he was pretty popular he was smooth smooth talker 
Yeah. He was uh, real talky. He was real popular with people, but he was uh, pretty, must have been pretty friendly, and he could he could win you over pretty well with this smooth talking. And he was even elected to the student council. Yeah, he sure was. He wanted to play sports, too, but his mom wouldn't let him, so he had to be a cheerleader and became the first male cheerleader for the football team. Yeah. But he done a lot of stuff to hang out with the girls, which is pretty smart. So he was like even home ec and uh, sewing classes, stuff like that. He was always seemed uh, – not much of a threat to the ladies, and they all liked him, you know. Yeah. He just got to, had that angle <clears throat> to be able to hang out with them. Right. Yeah. Which is smart, really. That's smart. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Now, after he graduated in 1983, Henry became a disc jockey. Right. For a Barnwell radio station. And it said that he just walked in off the street and wanted a job, and they liked his – the way he sounded, he liked his voice. He had a smooth voice. Yeah, and he went in, and there's that smooth talking again. You know, he could he could talk people into doing stuff or whatever because, you know, he didn't have any experience to do it, and they gave him a job on the air right off the bat. Yeah, working the, the night shift. Mm-hmm. And his uh, his radio name was The Night Rider. That's a good name. Yeah. He got fired from there. Yeah. He got fired for stealing records and some recording equipment. Yeah. They can't, he can't be doing that. He also broke into the high school that he went to and, and stole some AV equipment and recording equipment out of there too. And he got caught trying to pawn it off. But I don't think he served any time for that, That I, anything I heard. Yeah, I don't know. I think he got in much trouble for that stuff either. He might have got probation or something. Yeah. And then uh, after he graduated high school, he uh, went to several colleges, even going to South Carolina State, but they only lasted for one semester. And then that's when he decided to join the Navy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was really good in the Navy. He, uh, he, he uh, I think he joined the Navy in 1985, and he married his high school sweetheart. Yep. But he did well in the Navy. He advanced quickly, even up to a Class Three officer, and uh, said he was really on top of things, and all his academics were really high. And then he got in trouble in the Navy. He yeah. Was stealing stuff again. Mm-hmm. But well, yeah, you're right, Don. He did marry his high school sweetheart, even become the stepfather to her daughter. And stuff, and then this is about the time he started having a drug problem. Yeah, crack cocaine. He got on crack and some stuff. So to to help with the finances with his drug problem and his new family, he started stealing TV equipment, electronics, and stuff from the Navy. And then he got caught, and they uh, even discharged him honorably, but because he had been such a good officer before, so they just booted him out. He got an honorable discharge, even because of his good behavior during that eight those eight years, I guess. Yeah, because he was such a good good officer. And then he got he broke into a hardware store later in uh, Seattle. He got busted for that, and then uh, he pleaded down to uh, second degree burglary, which they only gave him two years probation. But according to his probation officer Patrick Seberg, uh, he didn't ever show up for his mandatory meetings. So it's another case of uh, where uh, a killer gets in trouble, but he don't really get very much punishment for it. Mm-mm. They let him slide a lot. And yeah, we see that happen over and over again. Now, Dale, in March of 1990, he moved back to South Carolina, Barnwell, South Carolina. And he got a job working as a chemical operator for the Sandoz Chemical Company. I think that's how you pronounce it. S-A-N-D-O-Z, Sandoz, Sandoz. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with Sandoz. And by that time, his marriage had fallen apart. Yeah, this is another case of him being smooth talker to get a job. Yeah. Get a chemical operator and had no idea about any of that. Mm-hmm. All right, go ahead. At that time, he was questioned by police regarding the disappearance and death of a Barnwell High School student named Tashonda Bethea. You know, later on, it was reported that he had dumped her body in a lake in his hometown, 
but it was not until several weeks later that her body was discovered. Right. And he was also questioned in connection with the attempted rape of a 16-year-old Bornwell girl, but was never charged for that either. So he, was, he wasn't charged for either one of these. Just, no. Just questioned. Okay. Yeah, that's it. So, and just uh, into the next year of 1991, he broke into his, like I said, he broke into his old high school and where he once worked and stole the video equipment and recording equipment and was caught trying to pawn them. And we talked about that just a, just a little bit ago. So it was just a continued cycle. I guess he knew what was worth money. Oh, yeah. he. I guess he could pawn that stuff and get money for his crack cocaine addiction. Yeah. Now, later on in that year of 1991, November of 1991, this is when he re- relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. And he found some jobs working in the fast food <clears throat> industry. Yeah, I think because uh, basically his background and record he started building, he, it was hard for him to find a job except for fast food restaurants and that kind of thing. And this is in East Charlotte. East Charlotte. It's rough, rough country out there. Oh, yeah. Mm. Rough country. Rough country. A lot of crack cocaine going on, a lot of drugs, a lot of prostitution, a lot of things going on. From where we sit, that'd be the other side of Charlotte. Right? Yeah, we're gotcha. on the... On the west side. Gotcha. Yeah. We're the west side boys. Now, in, in May of 1992, Dale, he picked up a female named Sharon Nance. And she was a convicted drug dealer and prostitute. And when she demanded payment for her services, Wallace beat her to death and then dropped her body off by the railroad tracks. And she was found just a few days later. Hmm. So I reckon all this is just coming from his drug habit and everything else. He's mm-hmm. just started, he, uh, he really picked up the pace here, didn't he? Yeah. So, well, I guess he didn't have the money or he didn't want to pay her and just flipped out on her. Yep. I wonder, did he, did he know she was a prostitute at the time or he just didn't care? I don't think he cared. I think he just, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I guess by now is everything's falling apart. He'd been in trouble several times. His marriage fell apart and he moved to Charlotte and here we go. Mm-hmm. Good, yeah. Just the next month of June of 1992, this is when he raped and strangled Caroline Love at her apartment. Yeah, he had taken the key to Caroline's apartment from his girlfriend. They were friends. Hmm. That and, happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. This was his girlfriend at the time. Her name was Sadie McKnight. And he knew that she would be alone. He entered her apartment and hid her in her bathroom for her to come home from work. And when she got home, he told her he wanted to make love. And when she resisted, he put her in a wrestling hold. Oh, hell. Yeah, I don't know what wrestling hold that was. You're the wrestler, so I don't know what. Yeah, he was a big dude. Yeah. Henry Wallace was a big dude. And he kept the hold on her until she passed out. And at that time, he moved her to the bedroom. and removed, put her in the sleeper hole. I guess. <laughs> Go ahead. He, he took all of her clothes off and took her to the bedroom and had sex with her. And at the same time, he was still applying the choke hold to her. And he also used a curling iron that was nearby and placed a cord around her neck i guess as a ligature right and after she died he folded her body up in bed sheets and placed i guess the bundle in a large orange trash bag you know it's kind of i guess the city workers use to collect trash you leave you see oh yeah the really big ones you see laying on the side of the road for debris and stuff yeah and he carried her to his car and returned to her apartment and grabbed a roll of quarters she he saw lying on her dresser it must have been a heck of a bag because mm-hmm. heck you can't hardly carry a bag of trash out without the bottom blowing that up that's about right <laughs> well these are state trash bags so I guess they're a little bit a little bit better you say so yeah <laughs> and he put the body out of sight from passersby on the road and he drove to the city limits near 
uh, Stevenson Road and passed some construction houses and dumped her body off the side of the road where he thought it wouldn't be seen. Hmm. Now, Dale, just a couple days later, he went back, and um, it was reported that the body had almost decayed to a point where she just looked like leather. Damn, that was quick. Yeah, just a couple of days. That's just what it was reported. And her body was so bad, he went back about a week later, and it was, the only thing left was bones. So, yeah, that's pretty quick. Yeah, very quick. I'm mm-hmm. just, what was the date on this? That was June of 1992. Oh, okay, that makes sense. June. Yeah. <laughs> heat, summer, Humidity. Charlotte, hot weather. Hot, yeah, very hot. Yeah. Now, he I guess he took some time off from his killing. I don't know what he done from June till February. But in February, well, on February 19th of 1993, this is when uh, Wallace strangled a female named Shauna Hawk after having sex with her. And really, Henry claimed to have no intention of killing Shauna, but he just stopped by her house just to chat with her. And and she'd come home from school, and her mother wasn't home. And the two, they got to talking and really just goofing off a little bit, and that's when she got to teasing him and making fun of him about a recent fight he'd had with his girlfriend named Sadie McKnight. And he did, I don't think he liked that too good. No, most didn't. He put her in a chokehold, too. Yeah. And until she passed out, and then he filled a bathtub with water and placed her in it. I guess he drowned her after that. Damn. And before he left, he stole $50 from her purse. And he was just getting money just for his crack addiction. Right, so murder and money. Mm-hmm. Roll of quarters and 50 bucks so far. Now, we're going to notice from all these these killings of his, Dale, there was never any forced entry. Right. So so he he knows most of these, right? He knows all of these his victims. He has a connection with them, or, you know, really close. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty, pretty strange. Yep. Now, just a few months later, in June on June 22nd of 1993, this is when he raped and strangled a co-worker, Audrey Spain, and her body was found two days later and Audrey had just returned from a vacation when Henry was looking for her his excuse for visiting her was to share a joint with her but he was wanting he was just wanting to rob her right get money for his crack addiction and after they finished smoking her joint he throttled her and pinned her to the floor and he demanded to know how much money she had in the apartment and he took what was available and when he choked her, she blacked out. He stripped her and dragged her, to the, dragged her to the bedroom and raped her. And Dale, just shortly after that, she started to come to, and he, she begged him not to hurt her. And he just performed sex on her. And I told her to stand there and put her clothes on. And she stood there, and he choked her out. And when she became limp in his arms, he tied her in a nightgown and T-shirt, you know, to make a garrote. And he stole her Visa MasterCard and Exxon gas card. And... Made several gas purchases later. Now, Dale, he's starting to pick up speed here. Pick up speed. Starting to pick up speed because just a couple months later, on August the 10th of 1993, he raped and strangled Valencia Jumper. She was a 21-year-old college student from Columbia, South Carolina. And she was friends with his sister. Yeah. So he knew her. Yeah, another one. So, so I wonder if this is how he keeps from being... Well, I don't know. Like you said, there's no forced entry or nothing. So there's nothing looks... He knows them, so he goes to their apartment and just knocks on the door and says, Henry, so they let him in. Right. Hmm. Yeah. But this murder here is a little bit different because um, he had raped and murdered Valencia, 
and he set fire to cover up the crime. And for a long time, even up, they thought this was just a uh, an accident. But when he admitted it, that's when they found out that she had, was one of his victims. Because she was just labeled as, uh, her death was accidental until he confessed to it. Yeah, then uh, after, while she was getting dressed, he managed to uh, draw her attention to the other side of the room. And then he put a towel around her neck, you know, really quick and choked her out. He went in the kitchen and then he saw a bottle of 151 on the cabinet. He poured the 151. That's rum, rum by yeah, the way. That's some high, high potent, high potent rum all over her body. And then uh, he was pretty smart about it, really. So he poured it all over her body. And then he went in the kitchen and opened up a can of pork and beans and put that on the stove like it's cooking. And then went and took the, the battery out of the smoke detector and turned the stove up on high. He went back in the bedroom and took a match and threw it on the, on the 151 and then left. But he had taken some uh, jewelry from her and then he pawned it later. But that's pretty smart the way he done that. Yeah, because to cover his tracks. Yeah, yeah, like I said, for a long time, they thought it was just an accident. Her death was an accident. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, he put some food on the stove, make it look like that's what happened, and no battery in the smoke detector. Mm-hmm. And then set her on fire, which is pretty brutal. Yep, pretty bad. Now, Dale, one month later, in September of 93, he went to the apartment of Michelle Stinson, and she was a struggling college student and a single mother of two boys. But Stinson was a friend of his from Taco Bell. Because at this time, Henry was a manager to Taco Bell. So is this his first Taco Bell? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And there he raped her and then had some time, you know, where he strangled her and stabbed her in front of her oldest son. Ooh. But what he'd done, he'd dropped in unannounced. It was about 11 p.m. at night. Right. But while chatting with her, he pretended to be thirsty and asked for a glass of water. And Michelle... Uh, turned to reach for a glass on the shelf and he made his move he mobilized her from behind he began to unbutton her blouse after forcing her into sex he choked her until she passed out Mm. and he went to the bathroom he got a towel and put it around her neck and he strangled her and she kept moaning and groaning and and back and forth and all that stuff so he got a knife from the kitchen he stabbed her about four times in front of her son Mm. that's brutal so he's He's up in his game. And according to the the police reports on this, the marks of the knife wounds and everything was so severe, they could tell it was forceful. Said it was a, a strong person that done them stab wounds. Mm. So sometime, sometime after September 1993 into October, you know, he had, was married. But then, they, you know, like their, their relationship had split up. But he had a son that was born during that time. So right now, when all this is going on, is there a lot going on with the investigation? Do we know what's going on, or are they putting anything, any of these together? They're not putting anything together because they're they're similar, but they're not. So it's kind of more random stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of like a couple of other killers we've covered that use a different mo each time. And um, like we said in East Charlotte, there's such a big, it's such a big crack problem this time. All kinds of crime and prostitution, and they just the police are having a hard time putting everything together. Right. They don't really have much to go on, but we're going, you know we'll talk about that in just a little bit later. But now, into February of 1994, Henry was arrested for shoplifting, but the police had no connection between him and his murders at all. It was just a shoplifting charge. And I don't know how much time he got for that if he got anything at all. Probably because not. probably not, you know how it is. 
because his arrest for the shoplifting was on February the 4th. Right. So on February the 20th, Henry raped and strangled Vanessa Mack. So we just talking just maybe three weeks, right. less than three weeks. And he knew her through, through her sister. Yeah. Who was a co-worker with Henry at Taco Bell. And uh, she had two daughters, like seven and four months old at the time of her death. Mm-hmm. So, damn, he's just... And he admitted that his primary motive for Vanessa Mack was money, just to fuel his drug addiction. You know, crack, LSD, and it was pretty much anything he could get his hands on. Right. And, you know, th- this Vanessa Mack, he knew her, she, she had a good job, and money in the bank, and always carried ATM cards. And But this... That night that he murdered her, he carried a pillowcase under his jacket. And she stood up to get him a soda from the kitchen, and that's when he moved the, well, removed the pillowcase and put it around her neck mm-hmm. and asked for all the money she had. And all she told him was she had her just her ATM card and wanted that and her PIN number. Yeah, he knew she just got her taxes back, though. Yeah. Right. So she had some money in the bank. Yep. And she turned all those things over to him, and he insisted on having sex. And but she was too afraid, you know, to turn him down. Yeah. And when they were done, she mentioned that she needed to put her baby to bed because he'd fell asleep on the sofa. I guess. Damn. As she rose off the mattress, he reached around her once more with the pillowcase and ended her life. Yep. And he took her ATM card, but it didn't work. She gave him a fake number. Yep. Mm. Um. Yeah. Yeah, Henry Henry Lewis Wallace is a bad dude. Yeah, that's pretty bad there, even though he knew she had two small children in the house and basically killed them, which he had already done this before. So. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it keeps ramping up. Because on March the 8th of 94, Henry robbed and raped and sprangled Sprang, a woman. Sprangled? Sprangled. Strangled <laughs> Betty Jean Bauckham. And Bauckham and Wallace's uh, girlfriends, his girlfriend, were co-workers. And she was living in Charlotte for at least six months with a three-year-old daughter. But she was originally from Laurel Hill, North Carolina. Where is Laurel Hill? I have no idea. Yeah, we'll have to look that up. I think it's out eastern part of the state. Sounds like it. Yeah. We'll go with that. And after he murdered her, he took her valuables from the house, then left the apartment with her car. He pawned everything except the car, which he left at the local shopping center across the street from the lake apartments. Yeah, Betty Jean, she was one of the supervisors at Bojangles, and Wallace figured she knew the burglar alarm code and present, and even had the keys and the, the combination to the safe. And like I said, his intention was theft. But when he went back, he went back to her home and he decided to steal her television, her VCR, but since uh, he no longer owned a car, he took her Pulsar and transported the you know all the stolen goods back to his apartment. And from there... He sold them for cash, and fearing that the police might be catching on, he abandoned the car hours later, wiping it clean of fingerprints. But he confessed he had forgotten to wipe off the trunk lid. Mm. He wiped the inside, and he even parked the car back in the same parking spot that she parked in. Oh, shit. And also, you know, Henry was a big big dude, yeah. and Betty, Betty Balkum was like 5'2 or 5'3", so when he drove her car, he slid the seat back. So he didn't put it back. He didn't put the sleep seat back up under the steering mm-hmm. wheel. Little things. Yep. I've seen that. 
It was like on the Debbie Wolf. Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you have a chance, go back and check our Debbie Wolf episode. And uh, Laurel Hill is uh, just on the other side of Rockingham. Yeah, so that's out on the eastern part of the yeah, state. Yeah, down towards Fayetteville. Now, Dale, Henry went back to that same apartment complex on March the 8th of 94. And knowing that Bernice Woods would be at work so he could murder his girlfriend, Brandy Henderson. And Hendr- Brandy was a student and a homemaker taking care of their infant son. And they lived these lake apartments for about a month after moving there in 1994. Now, Henry raped Brandy while she held her baby. God almighty. And then strangled her. And he also strangled her son, but he survived. And what had happened, Brandy's boyfriend, I think his name was Darren or Daryl, I can't remember. But he came home and noticed that the apartment was messed up, kind of. And he kept calling for Brandy, but he heard his, uh, the baby crying. And uh, he went in to get his son, was holding his son, and noticed a towel around his neck. And took the towel around his, off, around, off from his neck and then went into the bedroom. And that's where he found Brandy laying flat on her back on the bed. Oh, my goodness. She'd been strangled with a towel around her neck. The 10-month-old son survived. Mm. Yeah, he said in a later interview that uh, once he went inside... He squeezed, he squeezed her up to him and demanded the money. The only cash she had in hand was fifteen dollars in her purse and some loose change in a Pringles can. He took that and led her to the bedroom, where she commanded her to perform oral sex on him. Mm-hmm. And then we had sex. Got on her knees and started praying because she was scared. I said, "I'm not going to hurt you." I said, "Give me a hug." And when she hugged me, I choked her out with a towel until she was red in the face and unconscious. And then she died in his hands. Mm-hmm. Damn. He also said that uh, he had intended to steal Brandy's TV and stereo since he had the means and convenience in his hands with her car. And uh, oh, that's when the little when the baby started crying. He panicked, and the last thing he wanted was the neighbor showing up on another line. The baby was crying, mm-hmm. so he lifted the baby, and that's when he did that. Yep. Wow. Bad dude, man. Yeah. That's... All right, Dale. Now the police increased their patrols in the East Charlotte area after two bodies of. The young black women were found at the lake apartment complex. And Wallace sneaked in to rob and strangle a female, Deborah Ann Slaughter. And she had been a co-worker of his girlfriend. And he stabbed her 38 times in the stomach and chest. And her body was found on March the 12th of 1994. Damn. He said he went to her and asked her if she wanted to go in half on uh, buying some cocaine. She said she didn't have the money for that, and he was disappointed, so he just started beating her. And then uh, he forced her to have sex with him, and then she gave him like 60 bucks in cash. And yeah. then he was still in a rage with all that, so that's when he got the knife and stabbed her. And then after he killed her, he left to buy the cocaine, and he went back to her apartment, and while she was on the floor dead, he went in the bathroom and smoked it. Yeah. This dude didn't give a shit. Mm-mm. Yeah, but Wallace was arrested on March the 13th, 1994, and he was hiding out in an apartment, hiding out in the bathroom, and he didn't give up a fight or anything. He didn't, they didn't have any trouble arresting him or anything. It took him in for questioning and done some police tactics on him to try to get him to confess, and he even confessed to murders that they didn't know about. Right. For 12 hours. Yeah, for 12 hours. Mm. And um, he gave him a piece of paper 
and he wrote down all the names of his victims. And a couple of them, it was like that one we talked about that was burnt up. That yeah. Her name was on that list, and they thought it was just an accident. Right. But, yeah, he got... Um, so he confessed to 10 women in Charlotte and then an 11th one that was before he moved there. So that would have been... That was in Barnwell. was in the lake, right? Yeah. Yeah. And over the next two years, Dale, uh, Wallace's trial was delayed uh, over venue. And DNA evidence from murder victims and jury selection. And his trial began in September of 1996. And the prosecutor argued for the death penalty while a defense attorney asked for a life sentence, arguing that Wallace suffered from mental illness and that the killings were not first-degree murder because they did not result from premeditation. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I won't believe that for a minute. I mean, he was going in to get money for his addiction. Well, money, rape, robbery, death. Yeah. And that was pretty much every time, so you can't say he wasn't thinking about it when he got there. He wasn't going over to borrow a dollar. Yeah, now there's a famous FBI serial killer profile by the name of Robert Ressler. And he's even quoted as saying if, if he elected to become a serial killer, he was going about it the wrong way. Mr. Wallace always seems to take one step forward and two steps back. He would take items, put them in the stove to destroy them by burning them, and then forget to turn the stove on. Plus, killing people that you know ain't real smart either. Well, it I mean, it worked for a while. It worked for a it while. It was just it worked because it gave them easy access to a victim, but it, it's easy for them to connect them to you. Yeah, and it showed no forcible entry at all. Right. Now, Dale, on June the fifth of nineteen ninety eight, Wallace was in prison, and he was on death row. He was sentenced to death, and he married a former prison nurse uh, by the name of Rebecca Torrias. And this was in a ceremony, actually next to the execution chamber. We've seen that before, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> With uh, Richard Ramirez. Yeah. yeah. And the Mecklenburg County public defender, Isabel Day, served as the official witness and photographer. And also attending was the manager of the death row unit at the prison. That's crazy. Man. Yep. And since being sentenced to death in 97, Wallace has been appealing to the courts to overturn his death sentence, stating that the confessions were coerced and his constitutional rights were violated in the process. And the North Carolina Supreme Court upheld the death sentences in 2000. Uh, the Supreme Court in 2001 denied his appeal, and in 2005, Superior Court Judge Charles Lamb rejected Wallace's latest appeal to overturn his convictions in nine death sentences. So he's still on death row, right? Yeah, in, in Central Prison in Raleigh. In Raleigh. Yep. So he's still there. Um, you know, I've never, I've never heard of a, many North Carolina serial killers, and this was pretty fascinating to me. Yeah. There was a lot more to it than when we first started talking about it, when he got into it, man. He was a real brutal guy. He didn't give a damn. Yeah, we talked about <clears> this <throat> case for a while and, and was going to do it, and then we put it off and put it on, put it off. So we decided to do it again, so this is what yeah. you got. Yep. I think it turned out pretty good. And our buddy Jeff Williams put out a song. <laughs> about him and then got us re-interested in it after listening to the song went back and looked into it and decided we go ahead and do it and there is a YouTube movie documentary it's about an hour and 40 minutes long and the name of the the movie is called Bad Henry 
And it's got a lot of good footage in there, actual footage from the crime scenes, news clips, police detectives, and giving interviews. So it's and even the some of the victims' family members giving some interviews. So it's really good if you get a chance to check that out. So yeah, this dude. So really, Taco Bell Strangler didn't didn't fit him that well. I don't think because it didn't make him sound nearly nearly as notorious as he was. Mm-mm. It's kind of a funny funny name to me yeah because he he was a manager at taco bell and a couple of the victims were, were employees, employees there co-workers yeah yeah but this yeah. was more of people he knew females he knew or associated with had connections to right all right Dale, you got any last words no i'm just i'm kind of dumb about it by this dude he's just really brutal yep I mean, especially with the kids there, man. That's yeah, it's like you know, like we said, he was just ramping up. He didn't, you know, that's didn't no moral compass at all. Uh, uh-uh, no. All right, Dale. All right, I'm about talked out. We're going to get out of here. <laughs> we want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. The drive to go further and reach higher. The same thing that inspires you, inspires us. At Strayer University, we're always searching for new ways to make education more affordable. That's why we offer access to up to 10 no-cost gen ed courses to help you save time and money so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. No-cost gen ed provided by Strayer University affiliates of Field Learning. Eligibility rules apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF.